This is Father Bonaventure Chapman. And this is Father Gregory Pine. And this is Father Joseph Anthony Cress. And welcome to God's Planning. Thanks to all those who support us. If you enjoy the show, please consider making a monthly donation on Patreon. Be sure to like and subscribe to God's Planning wherever you listen to your podcasts. Father Joseph Anthony, Father Gregory, here we are. I am amidst Steubenville. Oh, yeah. That's, wow. Look at that. Well, right. we're going to change this up. I was going to talk this about is... favorite winter activities, uh-huh. but uh-huh. we're just going to blow that out, and I'm going to say favorite winter or Advent traditions at Steubenville, favorite memories or Christmas Ooh. memories at Whoa. Steubenville Great. College. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so I think one of my favorites was we had a big party um, w- with everybody that came to study abroad in Austria. Mm-hmm. So I did a fall semester in Austria, which I think you, you were you fall as well? I was. Yeah, fall of 09. Uh, anybody out there listening from fall, fall 09 semester in Austria? Um, but uh, the brothers in my household, um, they had a, a house that had about 12, 15-foot vaulted ceiling, uh, in the great room. And so they had a 10, 12 foot Christmas tree. Oh, nice. Uh, so by the time we got back from Christmas break and all that, and it was a little after Christmas, but we just had this great bonfire and we're able to like kind of dispose yeah, of the Christmas thing. tree properly burned oh, it. In burning the tree. Yeah. It's a burning man. Oh my goodness. Okay. And that, that sucker went up like an instant. That's your favorite Christmas Advent memory is burning up a Christmas tree. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, you asked just about what I, it was, and I'm thinking about all the Christmas things. I got did. you. No, it's no wrong answer. So, uh, but I feel like, great. did you build an igloo? Were you the ones? No. That, no. Okay. Was, so th- I think that was 08. That was spring 08. Yeah. I think that was like Austin Ashcraft. That's Elliot, exactly. Yeah. Tim, mm-hmm. et cetera. Yeah. Um, that was a great. No. Yeah, our, our thing that fall semester, so this is fall 2007, um, shout out to all those concerned, um, is that we started at the beginning of the semester jumping in the river, mm-hmm. and there was a determination that needed to be made at a certain point whether we would continue to do so as the winter months mm-hmm. approached, and mm-hmm. we decided to continue to do so. Yeah. Um, so we jumped in the river every morning. I failed to mention that on a Steubenville podcast, and Father Timothy Danaher texted me later, and he mm-hmm. said, you didn't mention the fact that it was every day. So I'm here mentioning the fact that it was every day. And then when we came back to Steubenville, we continued to jump in the Ohio River, mm. which is a lot less clean than the Mitterbach, also a lot less accessible than the Mitterbach. But there was a kind of high point on the Feast of Our Lady of Lords. I think it was our senior year where the river had actually flooded, so the marina from which we would take our jumps was underwater. But we had like 45 people down there praying, you know, performing penance, penance, penance for poor sinners. Mm. Uh, and it was quite it was quite the shindig. Um so jumping in the river, although not necessarily associated with Advent, definitely took place in Advent wow. and uh, blessed Advent. That's great. I did not go to Steubenville, so I'm just <laughs> going to say happy birthday to my dad. December 10th. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so here's to you. And uh, I will read the collect and we'll get into the readings. All right. Tremendous. Almighty and merciful God, may no earthly undertaking hinder those who set out in haste to meet your son. But may our learning of heavenly wisdom gain us admittance to his company, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God, forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Father Gregory, would you mind taking us to the first reading? I'm ready. Here we go. A reading from the book of the prophet Isaiah. Comfort, give comfort to my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her service is at an end. Her guilt is expiated. Indeed, she has received from the hand of the Lord double for all her sins. A voice cries out, In the desert prepare the way of the Lord. 
Make straight in the wasteland a highway for our God. Every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill shall be made low. The rugged land shall be made a plain, the rough country a broad valley. Then the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all people shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Go up onto a high mountain, Zion, herald of glad tidings. Cry out at the top of your voice, Jerusalem, herald of good news. Fear not to cry out and say to the cities of Judah, Here is your God. Here comes with power the Lord God, who rules by his strong arm. Here is his reward with him, his recompense before him. Like a shepherd he feeds his flock. In his arms he gathers the lambs, carrying them in his bosom, and leading the ewes with care. This passage talks about, well, John the Baptist will be the one preparing the way of the Lord. And I like the image of filling in and leveling, bringing down. We talk a lot about Aristotle here, and St. Thomas takes up his account of virtue as in the mean, not excessive, not deficient, but rather right in the middle. And here we have a sort of Aristotelian scriptural passage where John the Baptist is bringing down the haughty, you could say, bringing down the hills to level places, but also bringing up the valleys, filling them in so that Christ may be there. What I take from this, or at least one thing you might take from this, is that Christ wants to order things as they ought to be, to make sure that there are things that are not too high for themselves, when we get proud, when we get haughty, when we get thinking that we're the ones who are in charge of this creation and what's going on here. No, he wants to bring us down to his level and say, follow me, look me in the eye face to face. I'm coming as a human being. I'm coming as a, as a person, divine person, and a human being to meet you in salvation. But at the same time, some of us might feel too low, might feel we're not worthy, might feel that we're not being attentive or able to receive his message, or we might just be too depressed about ourselves and our failures and things. And to those he raises up, he's here in the incarnation saying, I'm here to pick you up, to save you, and to bring you where you ought to be, which is at my side. So to bring down the haughty and to lift up the lowly, this is a message, of course, that we find in his mother's own song, but it's something that we find here foreshadowed in this passage from Isaiah. The, um, it's quite often known and spoken about uh, that one of the greatest fears in many people's lives, it's uh, the like number one fear for most people, is the fear of public speaking, the fear of being on a stage and having the spotlight on you and all the eyes of a huge crowd on you and you have to speak and all the attention is, is, is put onto you. And there's this fear to, to get out in front of others and draw their attention by your words to something else or to inform them or speak to them or whatever it may be. And here we have at the very final or the last paragraph of this reading today, the it's the encouragement is to go up on the high mountain and cry out at the top of your voice fear not to cry out and say to the cities of judah here is your god the lord is 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 encouraging us to to not let those fears even this very commonplace fear of speaking in front of others to not let that fear paralyze us 
from the goodness of what it is to proclaim the fact that God is near to us, that he hasn't forgotten, he hasn't abandoned, and maybe even that he approaches. We've made clear the paths that uh, go before him, and we've made straight the roads, and everything has been leveled, and, and he is on his way and approaching. So now is the time. Now is the time to speak up and to speak out. Now is the time to let others know the joy of the coming and the approach of the Lord God. But there's that fear that takes it all away. There's that fear that says, well, it might be easier if I just don't say it, and maybe they find out on their own. Well, this is the reality, is that the Lord very clearly in the prophet Isaiah encourages us to not let that fear take charge, to not let that fear paralyze us, but to allow ourselves to speak about the goodness of the Lord, to speak about his love and mercy, and to speak the fact that he is approaching and he is near to us, that we should not fear, fear not to cry out, to cry out at the top of our voice that the Lord God is near. So, Father Bonamich, you talked about the middle of the reading. Father Joseph Anthony, you talked about the end of the reading. So naturally, I'm going to talk about not the reading. Just kidding. I'll talk about <laughs> the beginning of the reading. Um, so it begins with this announcement of comfort. Give comfort to my people, says your God. And you might think to yourself, comfort? Lord, I don't experience much in the way of comfort addressed to me by you. And yet... Um, I was just meditating recently on one aspect of the incarnation that is especially comfort-bringing, and I was thinking about the fact that our Lord lives a whole human life, and each of his acts, each of his deeds and sufferings is infinitely meritorious. So our Lord merits our salvation from his conception uh, and then continues to merit it um, at his birth and at his presentation and at his being lost to his parents at the age of 12 and at the beginning of his public ministry and dot, dot, dot. So he continues to add infinity to infinity. And on a certain commercial logic, that doesn't make too terribly much sense, because why would you continue to pay full price for something that you've already purchased? Um, you go to the cashier, and the cashier says it costs five seventy six, and you say, here's five seventy six, here's five seventy six, here's five seventy six, here's five seventy six. And at a certain point, the cashier would think that you're out of your mind, because the cashier is engaging with you at the level of justice. But our Lord isn't engaging with us at the mere level of justice. He's engaging with us at the level of charity because part of his project, I mean the whole of his project, truth be told, is to win us back to him. And there is no sure means whereby to convince another uh, that, you know, love of the Lord God is, is good for him than to show that love, right? So our Lord draws us in bonds of love by bestowing upon us his love, by adding infinity to infinity to infinity. So our Lord speaks tenderly to us, his Jerusalem, uh, and he continues to do so throughout the course of his incarnate life, such, but, such that by the repetition of that proffer of salvation, we might gradually kind of, as it were, heal and grow beyond our suspicion and enter into the promises that he has for us. Okay, the second reading. Father Bonaventure, would you read that? Yes, I will. <laughs> A reading from the second letter of St. Peter. Do not ignore this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like one day. The Lord does not delay his promise, as some regard delay, but, the Lord, but is patient with you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a mighty roar, and the elements will be dissolved by fire, and the earth and everything done on it will be found out." Since everything is to be dissolved in this way, what sort of persons ought you to be, conducting yourselves in holiness and devotion, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, 
because of which the heavens will be dissolved in flames, and the elements melted by fire. But according to his promise, we await new heavens and a new earth, in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you await these things, be eager to be found without spot or blemish before him at peace. This, uh, this reading in the letter to St. Peter uh, begins with um, this kind of, I don't know, um, comparison or maybe juxtaposition uh, between delay and patience. And it had me reflecting on, you know, how, how do we use those two words typically? Um, I found myself constantly using the words delay uh, when something goes wrong. You know, oh, my flight is delayed or this train has been delayed or if I'm running late to a meeting, if you want to sound kind of, you know, somewhat professional, I'm so sorry I've been delayed in responding to this email or, or uh, showing up. I find that we use that word delayed when something has gone wrong. It's off schedule or there's been a problem in those types of things that we'll use that delay. But the Lord is not delayed. There's no problem. There's, there's no uh, schedule that he is less than attentive to. But he's patient. And that word patient is typically used with parents, with their toddlers or the, any other children, who as the child grows, they're not, they don't rush the growth of their child. They don't rush the maturation of the child. But they're patient with them, knowing that they continue to grow even in their fits and tantrums or whatever it may be, because they know that the child has to go through those experiences in order to mature to the point where they become their own individual and they um, become an adult. And so it allowed me to reflect on the fact that the qualities of the Lord are as a father is patient with his child. That He doesn't delay his mercy because there's a problem in share, sharing his mercy with us, but he's patient as a father is patient with his child. So even in those moments where we don't understand what is happening in our lives or we can't make sense of it, or maybe we're frustrated and want to throw a tantrum with the father, it's not because there's been a delay and a problem or things are off schedule with respect to the Lord but he treats us like a father, a patient father treats his child. I'm struck by the fact that this reading, uh, though it falls within the New Testament, sounds more like certain descriptions of the Old Testament uh, regarding the consummation of all things at the end, uh, because it's got an especially apocalyptic feel, Um, and that feel seems foreign from our sensibilities of the God whom we have come to know, whom we have come to love, who bears us comfort, as we have heard described to us in the book of the prophet Isaiah. But I think that like part of the variability or part of the wide range of biblical idioms uh, is you know, explicitly designed to save us from a kind of conceptual idolatry, in the sense that we have a tendency to domesticate God in our thoughts and to domesticate him in our practices, because we find it difficult to stretch to the Most High God in his transcendent scope, um, and as a result of which, we're going to constantly pull him back to our, our limited understanding, to pull him back to our limited comprehension. But then we read something like this, which forces us to grapple with the fact that he is not a tame God, and if we are to be given wholly and entirely unto him, we have to be ready for something like an adventure, or something like, I don't know, a whirlwind, and that might entail some discombobulation or even some discouragement at the recognition that it's beyond us, right? That it's not something that we can compass, not something that we can necessarily control. 
And yet, it's always better and saving to be drawn into the plans of God, even if we cannot measure them by our own standards or compass them with our own minds. So while these eschatological descriptions, these end times descriptions, can be disturbing uh, or potentially dispiriting, fear not, because the Lord has great plans, even if they go beyond our grasp and even if they go beyond our understanding. When tragic things occur, sometimes we go to arts to, to help to heal us, to clarify our emotions and find an outlet for dealing with tragedy or sadness. Um, by Book 10 of the Plato's Republic, uh, this is not available um, because he has kicked out all the poets and the dramatists from the Republic and the city. And so when asked what to do with tragedy and sadness, he gives some sort of practical advice, and he gives three kind of things that you might say. Uh, the first thing he says is you should say, well, it's not clear how it's going to turn out in the end anyway. It might not be that bad. It might be okay. You might be making too much of this. You don't know yet what the future will, will be from this event. And the second thing, in case maybe that's not taken, is to say, it won't help, really. It's the sort of Greek version of uh, don't cry over spilt milk. At this point, whatever's been done has happened. It's over. It's best to just move on. Who knows? Um, and it won't make any difference to be, it won't be helpful to be in these passions and these relations. The third one, though, perhaps most interesting, which is he says, you know, human affairs are really not that important anyway. It doesn't matter anything here what happens. This is not exactly a comforting message that you might expect to give in pastoral situations. I don't recommend it. But nonetheless, it takes a lot of truth to float in error, and there is something to be said for the fact that at the end of the day, human affairs and the ins and outs of things are fitted in a larger plan, a plan of salvation about a new heavens and a new earth, not a continued heavens and a continued earth, St. Peter talks about this apocalyptic, as Father Gregory said, action here, where everything's going to be dissolved away. It's a reminder, maybe a memento more, of the fact that we will die. All of our projects will, in the end, come to an end. And the only project that will remain through eternity is our souls and our, the project of growing in virtue with our Lord. Will we be prepared for this new heavens and this new earth? So while human affairs might be a little more than not important. Nonetheless, it's a reminder that Christ came to save us from this world and to bring us to a new world, a new heavens, and a new earth. Okay, we'll turn to the gospel reading. Father Jake Joseph Anthony, would you please read that? A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Mark. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I am sending my messenger ahead of you. He will prepare your way. A voice of one crying out in the desert, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight his paths. John the Baptist appeared in the desert, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. People of the whole Judean countryside and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the Jordan River as they acknowledged their sins. John was clothed in camel's hair, with a leather belt around his waist. He fed on locust and wild honey, and this is what he proclaimed. One mightier than I is coming after me. I am not worthy to stoop and loosen the thongs of his sandals. I have baptized you with water. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. There are many things about this passage which bring us kind of before the recognition 
of the basic Christian stance. Wow, Father Gregory, could you speak more complicatedly? To be a Christian means to repent, period. Okay? Now, we can reduce, as it were, or encapsulate or summarize the gospel in a variety of forms. This is just one of those forms. Any form that doesn't have the proclamation of Jesus Christ at the heart of it is less than excellent as a form. But repentance is Christological. Right? We are meant not insofar as Christ himself repented because he didn't have sins to repent of, but he brings about the work of repentance in us by causing in us a recognition of our sins so that we can turn from them and turn to God by the grace which he is pouring into our souls in the very act. So what is repentance but a recognition that, you know, again, left to our own devices or left to our own designs, uh, we won't make much of it. So St. Thomas Aquinas will ask, okay, left to our own human nature, what can we accomplish? He says, you know, you can plant vineyards and you can build roads and uh, other things like that, which is, you know, cool enough, I suppose. But we have greater aspirations because we're not just oriented to a natural beatitude, we're oriented to a supernatural beatitude, which is to say that given what St. Peter has said in his epistle, or one of his epistles, we're called to be partakers of the divine nature, to be like God. That is to say, to claim the identity and mission of our Lord Jesus Christ as he continues to tell his story in us unto ages of ages. But the only antecedent condition to that is the recognition of the fact that we have sinned, that if we're going to look for answers, we can't look to ourselves, right? There's something good to our nature. It's not wholly destitute or depraved, and yet it's weak and wounded. It stands in need of his healing grace, not merely so that we can feel better about ourselves, but that in claiming his, his identity and his mission, we can attain to the Most High God who is worthy of all praise, regardless of what happens next. Now, other things do happen next, which is to say the salvation of souls and our own kind of getting drawn into that drama. But it's it's a kind of full stop after which other things occur. So repentance is the condition, or it is the antecedent step to our being reconciled to the Most High God and partaking more richly of His glory. And so, yeah, there might be reasons for which, or there might be obstacles or hindrances, uh, to to the acknowledgement of those things. But insofar as we live in the Christian community, we make use of, you know, prayer and the sacraments, and we're, you know, trying to live small penances in our life. The Lord, who has begun a good work in us, will see it to completion. So that's a long way of saying, you know, be encouraged by the announcement of the gospel, because it's already at work within your very members. When a speaker is to give an address or a conference or a lecture or some formal uh, address, we often think that one has to announce or prepare or give a sort of short introduction before to introduce that particular speaker. And so it seems that obviously we're going to have to have someone going and preparing the way for Christ. But of course, this isn't just a normal speaker. This is God himself coming in in the flesh. This is the incarnation. This is Christ coming to us to be saved. And there's no possible preparation that could really be fitting to that. There's no introduction uh, that would be fitting to explain all of what he's about to do, because what he's about to do is going beyond any sort of natural means which our introductions would, would entail. He has to give us the script, in a way, of what we're supposed to say to introduce him. And yet he does. He allows, in his mercy, to be introduced, to have preparation by fallible humans in this case, John the Baptist wearing camel skin and eating locusts, not exactly the kind of person you want to introduce you to a crowd, and yet he's the perfect man for the job. So it is with any proclamation of Christ. He's the one who will save. He's the one who's coming uh, at Christmas. He's the one who is coming to save. He's the one who will save us and the one that we get in touch with through the, through the sacraments, especially through the Eucharist, the one we're going to. But before even that, he allows, through his Holy Spirit working with us, that we, fallible and pathetic humans that we might be, can give an opening address 
can introduce him, can give something about him to others that they might be prepared as a mercy. He doesn't have to do this. He doesn't fitting entirely that this be done, but it seems to be something he loves, like a father who doesn't mind his son or his daughter trying to explain to someone else what he does and messing it all up, not getting the job perfectly right, but still loving to do it because if he's so proud of his father and knows how important his father or her father is. So we have a poss- an opportunity to prepare the way, and it's a gift, and it's a mercy to us in giving time to prepare, and also a mercy to participate in his salvation process. As much as it is tempting to focus on the figure of John the Baptist, and he is by far the central figure of um, this this second Sunday of Advent, um, I want to pick up on the location and the geography and what's going on. It's at the Jordan River, and as uh, the evangelist makes known, it's the whole of the Judean countryside. It's Jerusalem. It's it's everybody. This entire Judean countryside and is going out to the Jordan River again to plunge into those waters. When was the last time we saw that? And last time that we see the entire nation of of Israel, all the tribes going through the waters of the Jordan is when they crossed over the Jordan River into the promised land to complete and to finish the Exodus. And so this location is extremely important because it's drawing back to that last scene of entering into the promised land. And what we see is that John the Baptist is initiating something and it's the one who's coming after him is going to initiate this final exodus. And it's an exodus not just out of a land of slavery, but out of a life of slavery to sin. And it's leading us through these waters of repentance and ultimately the baptism of the Holy Spirit that takes us out of that, uh, that final exodus away from sin into a life with Christ in eternity. And so it's exactly what Father, um, Father Gregory was talking about, is it's this life of repentance and union with the baptism and the Holy Spirit and through the waters, the regenerative waters of our own sacramental baptisms that we then are participating in Christ who kind of takes up this new role in leading us through this final exodus that is, is drawn to mind by when we see John the Baptist in with the whole countryside of Judea and Israel and all the tribes together, together plunging into these waters. And so then we participate in that with our own sacramental baptisms, but with our daily repentance, because we see this as not just a geographic exodus from one land to another, but it's a real exodus away from sin and into the eternal life in union with Jesus Christ. Well... For all of us here at God's Planning, we hope that you're having a wonderful Advent, preparing the way of the Lord in your own heart through repentance and faith. Thanks for listening to this episode of God's Planning. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, X, Instagram. Like, subscribe, leave a five-star review. If you'd like to donate to the podcast through Patreon, please follow the link in the description. You can also follow the links in the description to shop God's Planning merchandise and to get information about upcoming God's Plan events in the new year. But for now, please pray for us. We'll be praying for you as we all prepare for our Lord to come into our hearts again to celebrate Christmas, the Nativity, the Incarnation. God bless.